<clears throat> this is Paul Stanley's house. We are poolside at Paul Stanley's patio. together people you gotta unite under one common cause I believe the cause we should unite under is rock and roll if you came here tonight to hear about how we're gonna save the whales if you came here tonight to hear about how we're gonna end hunger in the world if you came here tonight to hear about what war should continue and which one should stop. You are in the wrong place tonight, people. We are here to escape from all the bad news. We are here to have a good time. It's okay. Even when things are going bad, it ain't a crime to say, you know something? I'm not feeling so good. I think I oughta. Rock and roll on that party every day! You wanted the best and you got it! Kiss Army, you wanted the best, you got the best. I'm Matt Porter, and you are live with us here in the Kiss Room. It's our first show of 2013. It's our Paul Stanley birthday bash, and we're going to kick off the show with something that Bob requested. He's listening on his headphones at work. Bob's an original Kiss fan, so we're going to play him a demo, Love Gun, here in the Kiss Room on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet.
in the kiss room and this song goes out to janelle she said my favorite song is hold me touch me it's such a chick song janelle this is for you in the kiss room though i know that you
Room. We are live. It's 3.13 here on Friday. We have a packed house here today. Live with us in the kiss room. How you doing, people? <laughs> and you know that voice. So that's right off the bat. You heard Chris G. He's back. He's going to talk a little bit about Gene's ego. Yeah, yeah. And also the fact that he does share a birthday with Paul Stanley. He is the star child. He shares a birthday with the star child. And your birthday, and I'm not going to give away the number, but it's the same day so I, I was born the same day in, as Paul Stanley, January 20th, but the, but the same year that Kiss was born. <laughs> wow, I can't even say it, but you can figure it out. 1973. So it's a birthday. I was born to be a Kiss Chris, fan. The birth of Chris and the birth of Kiss. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Woo! We have Frank Hagen, of course, from Kiss Mass. Now, last month, Frank had to join us via the phone because he was at the Playboy Mansion. That's right. That's but he's right. back. How you been, Frank? Good. How you doing? Hi, girly. You know, it's a fantastic day here. Doe Reardon, she won't come near the mic because she says I'm not going to talk, but she's back. Now, here, this, here's the funny thing. It's radio. But she's got the best purple shirt and purple earrings. And if you can see this purple star child color. <laughs> she's got the star child color purple. <laughs> it's truly Paul's birthday here. Doe, how you feeling? I'm feeling awesome. Blessed to be here. Star power all around. Yeah. And joining us for the first time in the Kiss Room, Mr. Mike Natalini. Now, those of you that are rock fans, yeah. I said, Doe says, hey, can we could ask Mike to come up and do this show. I said, that's rock royalty. And now, those of you that know your rock, you know Rough House. And Mike is the drummer from Rough House. So, look, on the KissRoom.com blog, if you want to see him in action, I have the video. You know oh, this guy. No. Oh, and my you, God. <laughs> you can go back and look. <laughs> now, now, it's not, for those of you that really know, it's not the rag look tease days. No. But, but it is when they were signed to CBS Columbia. Yeah. There you are in action. How are you, Mike? Good, man. How you doing? I appreciate the offer. And it's to be here. And it's great to meet these guys. And 
This is awesome, man. What a great day. Now, really, th- see, this should be TV because Frank has a Kiss shirt. Mike's got his Kiss shirt, a Kiss denim jacket. Doe's got her Paul Purple. I I'm got my roses full, on. on you see my roses? No, Gene Simmons <laughs> outfit here with the makeup. And at the board, Dave Tattashore, Dave Tat making yeah. his debut in the hey. Kiss room. So we're rocking. And obviously, really, what brings us here today, we're thinking about the fact it's Paul Stanley's birthday bash. We led off the show with a bunch of Paul songs. We had that one go out for Bob. We had one go out for Janelle. We had all kind of people calling in saying, play us some Kiss. Go ahead. I just want to say hi, Janelle. And hi, Lydia. That's the president and vice president of the Star Child fan club. Is <laughs> Lydia Blaze and Janelle Vargas. Hello. And Andy Moyen. How you doing, man? And See I, you on the cruise. And I know that everybody's tuned in. Because, yeah, look, everybody's going this time. Now, I'm not going. Unless they make, uh, you know, the uh, special where you go behind in a uh, rowboat. No kiss <laughs> cruise for me. Again. But we will talk about that later. But let's let's just start off. Since, Mike, you're here, talk a little bit. Now, I know you've been a long-time Kiss fan. Oh, long time. Jeez. But also, open for Ace. We opened for Ace when I was in Tease. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was his uh, the Freely's Comet uh, album. Um, album, geez, it was an album back then. CDs now, right? Um, at a place called Pulsations, uh, maybe Glenn Mills. I don't even know that area. So if you rem- if you remember records, yeah, albums, albums. and you remember Pulsations, <laughs> that does date it a little bit. And uh, yeah, we op- we were opening for Ace. Uh, one thing he wouldn't. Uh, it was Freely's Comets first, his first tour, and uh, we teased. We got on we got on the bill with them. And uh, crazy story, uh, sh- not long short. Uh, when they were doing sound check, Anton Fig hadn't showed up yet, and um, the drummer Rody was doing Ace's sound check, and uh, he wanted to hear what the drums sound like. So the next thing I know, he's yelling, "Yeah, where's Tease's drummer? Where's Tease's drummer?" And you know, we're all standing out there in awe of just opening for Ace. So I jumped up on the drums, and they all looked at me and said, "What do you know?" And <laughs> I mean, I'm nervous enough because we're opening for him, and now I'm sitting on Anton Fig's kit. And uh, I said, oh, my gosh, uh, uh, rock and roll all night. And they said, start it. <laughs> and we did a couple minutes of it. And it was, it was man, it was just from that night on, it was just, I was on cloud nine. Uh, we were just really bummed. And the only thing, Ace wouldn't take any pictures with us. Mm. You know, it was really cool. We signed autographs, but I don't, you know, we didn't really ask why. But uh, it was really cool. I mean, he wasn't. Um, he came and he watched us. You know, the whole band was on the side watch us. I mean, I know you, you've you seen us before. Absolutely. So they were they were interested, and they really liked us. They really enjoyed it. It's a shame we didn't get on that, that tour with them, because that would have been great. That would have been great. You know what? So that was, and I know going way back, I saw you have on your Facebook a picture of you and Paul. How did yes. you meet Paul Stanley? Um, I had gotten uh, backstage passes when the Revenge album came out. Uh, album. Again, the Revenge CD or album came out. Hey, look, <laughs> we can say album. We can if say album. If we can say records and album. Yeah. yeah. If you remember when Revenge came out, you remember an albums. <laughs> and uh, they were at the Stabler Arena, and I was there. Uh, I had gotten backstage passes, and after the show, we went backstage, and the guys were the guys were great. I mean, uh, uh, Eric Singer was on drums, which phenomenal, and it was so funny. You know, we were backstage, and uh, one of the photographers even came up to me, and he was like, "Are you Eric Singer's brother?" And I was like, "No, well, why?" And I'm like, "Oh my God, you know, you look just like him." And then. Uh, Met Paul, just walked up to Paul and said, how you doing? Introduced myself, told him who I was playing with. And he even turned around to Eric and he was like, Eric, is this guy your brother? 
And a great guy. Got my picture taken with him. You know, met all of them. Got my picture taken with Eric. And yeah, like you said, it's on my Facebook. Now, the funny thing, again, if we were on TV, Doe is swooning. As he's saying that, <laughs> that he walked up to Paula, she's melting over in the corner there. You sh we should have TV cameras here. So now we're talking about Paul Stanley, obviously. And now one thing that I got a couple emails, Chris, the last time we talked, you mentioned that you had met Paul Stanley, but then you met him the night after, and you were going to say, that's another story. Is that a story you oh. can tell on the air? After the uh, after I sang to him at the Live the Wind show. Right. Yeah, after I sang to him at the Live the Wind show. I did the uh, the end of I Want You for him. And, you know, everything went blank and, and, and Paul's about to do the ending. And it was like a rock star moment. And I'm like looking up at the stage. All of a sudden, there's like nothing going on. And all of a sudden, I just go... All of a sudden, he's looking down at me like, you know, you want to do it? And that was that was the first <laughs> was night. Great. This is first of two. So Live the Win, you know, I sang on Paul's mic to Paul, and, he, you know, it was great. All my family and friends were there. And then the next day, he was doing a makeup appearance with Gene. It was when the first Kissology was coming out. And I said to myself, I got to go. I, I said, you know, I just met him, and this would be great. You know, he heard me one night. Now he'll see me in makeup. So I, I went up to New York. I had a friend that had a room up there. I got ready. Walking, I'm walking down Times Square to go to, to the line at the record store, and people are beeping and waving. They don't know what's going on. They think it might be Paul Stanley walking down the street. And I'm, like, waving back. And, <laughs> and, it, was, and it was Halloween. It was Halloween, because but it was early in the day, so a lot of people weren't dressed yet. You know. And then we're just, like, walking down the street in, in the middle of Times Square, and you know, people are waving and everything. So now I'm in line, and it was an all-day affair, and I was tired from the night before, and all day long I'm there in makeup and platform boots. And long story short, finally get to go and meet Paul and Gene. And uh, real quick, before that, they were doing a thing at MTV, and I was out by the front, and they're on a float uh, waving the people outside at MTV, and then Paul was in earshot of me, and I was singing to him again. And and I and I was singing "Live to Win" because uh, you know that's the, that the album he was pushing. So I'm over there, "Live to Win," and, and he and he's looking at me and he's giving me the thumbs up. So that was cool. And then I go to meet him at the signing, and I go up to him and I said, "Paul," I said, "That was me last night singing to you." And then Gene, now this is in front of Paul. Gene looks at Paul and he goes, <laughs> "He goes, you really do sound like Paul, right in front of Paul." <laughs> and and that like my heart just like you know skipped a beat there. And then Paul was like, "You know, God," he, he says, "Let me tell you something." He says, "You know, you were really good last night." He says, "He goes, of all the guys that attempt to do it, he goes, you were the best they ever heard." And that you know right there just like gave me all the validation I ever needed. You know, but it's it was a while ago. You know, it was also back in 06, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times passed, but it's something I'll never forget. Well, I knew people would appreciate the story, because last month when we talked about it, you said you had met him the next night, but that was another story. So a bunch yeah. of emails came in and said, what's the rest of that story? Yeah. So there we have it. I got a picture. That's on my Facebook. It's like uh, they were up at a podium, and I'm, like, kind of in the middle uh, like underneath them kind of like pointing back at Paul and that was the exchange that was said like basically you know he remembered me from the night before Gene heard me sing and he's like yeah he goes you know of all the guys that attempted he says you are the best I ever heard you know what what will ever come of that I don't know but I'm just glad I got the thumbs up that's all I ever cared about really kiss 2.0 you know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> who knows who knows I, I, I just figured you know either way like my mission in life is I'm gonna like do it somehow, some way, you know, I got a good 20 years in me. I could keep the band going 
on whatever level I can, you know. Whatever guys that want to play, you know, let's do it. You know, I do it out of love, man. That, that's what it's all about. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, my God, you know, Chris is out of his mind. He thinks he's Paul Stanley. No, I don't think I'm Paul Stanley. I know I'm a star child, and that's the thing. That's the difference. You know, I, I, I know the attitude. I know, you know, how Paul runs a show on stage. And I love Kiss. And if I could do it, why not? You know, that's why my not? thing. Which, why for not? those of you listening live and in the Philly, Jersey, New York area, you're going to do it tomorrow night, right? Now, depending oh, on yeah. when you listen to it, obviously a lot of people listen on the download. And, the, hey, this might be past history by the time you listen, unless you're listening live. Where are you going to be tomorrow night? Tomorrow night is uh, Gene's Ego. It's, uh, it was a band that we put together for fun. Uh, Damian Monte Carlo from a great band. Mach 22 was the drummer. Andy, Andy Watts from Clashing Plaid and Jay... Kelly from Clash and Pledge. I know those guys. Oh my God. Matt knows those guys, guys very well. You know, uh, and you know Anthony Poor, of course, is the singer for Clash and Plaid and and put the two and two together. And um, <laughs> you know, but we put it together for fun. You know, uh, there was a Kiss Jam in Philly a while ago, and and Jay Kelly actually said, you know, we should do this again in uh, full electric power. And, you know, every show we do, it's always like, oh, we're just going to do it this time and, you know, back to our regular lives. And next thing you know, another show pops up here and there. Like our very first show, we build it as the debut and farewell, you know, and here we are, another show. It's like, it's like, it's like kiss. Like we won't go away. We said farewell. Now we're coming back, you know. So tomorrow is, is yet another Gene Zigo show and we're going to celebrate the star child birthday. And there's also a, a girl by the name of Donna Stanton who also shares January 20th, and she's going to be there with her friends, and it's going to be a big kiss Paul Stanley star child celebration. Nice. So 100 Spring Garden Street, Philadelphia, Rebel Rock Bar. Come on out if you can. It's in Philadelphia. So if you're tuned in live, now you know where to go tomorrow night because that's going to be the kiss party. All kiss fans, make your way down there because that sounds like a bash. I mean, that's going to be really oh, something absolutely. else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's already a lot of people uh, confirmed to show up, so it should be crazy. We might need a bigger place. We might go to Delilah's and break it into <laughs> Delilah's. We'll, we'll, we'll have the strippers and I'll be going, take it off! <laughs> and now that, that show just got a lot hotter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? So really nice. what we're talking about, we're talking about Paul Stanley's birthday, obviously. We're also going to talk as we're heading into Super Bowl season here. Scott Engel is going to be calling in, and he is going to be talking about KISS fantasy football. So if we're thinking about some KISS fantasy cheerleaders showing up here, we'd like that. Scott uh, is from uh, Sirius XM and also Roto, got to get this right, rotoexperts.com. He's going to call in after this break. Why don't we go to a couple tracks? We're celebrating Paul Stanley's birthday, and we're going to take a little break with some KISS music here in the KISS room in Motco Radio where music and minds meet.
rejection, depression, can't get what you want. You ask me how I made my way. You ask me everywhere and why. You hang on every word I say. But the truth sounds like It's just after 3.30. And uh, now, see, really, we should have a TV show because if you, could, if you could, were in with us during the break, Mike's drumming every part on the desk. Chris is singing, singing every part. Yeah. It's like we got our own super group here with us in the studio. We start YouTubing this. And, well, you, know, we may, you never know. We might end up with a webcam. But joining us on the phone right now, we have Scott Engel of RotoExperts.com. He is also a host on the SiriusXM Fantasy Sports radio channel. And also a diehard Kiss fan, and we'll talk about that. Scott, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. You know, I'm really this is Peter Chris. I'm really <laughs> upset about this Kiss fantasy football league. Beth <laughs> did give me the first pick, and I wrote Beth. <laughs> so, so now, so now, Peter Chris, I uh, want fair football. <laughs> you know, how come you were getting less to be the quarterback than you know the Gene character? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Now the real, the first question we have about Kiss fantasy football. Can you send us Kiss Fantasy Football cheerleaders? 
Well, you know, I might be able to, and Chris knows what I'm talking about here, because one of the members of our KISS Fantasy Football League is actually the drummer for a rock band called Jaded out of Boston. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. sure. They're still around. She is our female member. Uh, if you want, I can see what I can set up with Hillary here. You know, that'd be fantastic. And anybody that was at the KISS convention, I think it was 2006 and I think yeah. 2007, yeah. they're a fantastic band. I mean, they really, it's rock and it's metal and they're really good. But we won't get too far off the topic. But if they want to call in and talk KISS with us, hey, anytime. I'm glad they're still playing if they are. Are yes, they still playing? I, I think they are. I think they changed the lineups a few nah. times. But, you know, Hillary's really good despite the fact that she's a Miami Dolphins fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the way that she plays that guitar, we all don't care who she's cheering for. We're cheering for her. But tell us, what is uh, Kiss Fantasy Football? Well, we just finished our eighth season. Uh, you know, it basically started as a bunch of Kiss fans. Uh, who had uh, dual loves. You know, they both love KISS, and they both love fantasy football. And, you know, I rounded up some of my friends online who both love football and in person, and we had the first draft, and uh, we're now eight years going strong. Uh, Chris, the latest championship was won by the St. Paul Stanleys. Yes, at a minute. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah! Yes. That's now, awesome. Now, now they have their hair tied back overlooking the Long Island Express. Right. Uh, Blowing in the wind. I'm crying. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Winning a championship is like a big piece of chocolate cake, yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just fin over finished our eighth year, uh, and everybody who gets in the league has to pass a test to show their kids knowledge. We just can't throw in any average football fan, and everybody names their team like after an album or something like that. So we had the St. Paul Stanleys with Daniel Ness winning the championship this week. We also have New York Grooves and New York Black Diamonds. And one of my favorites, if you saw the uh, picture on the Kiss Room, that was also on Kiss Online. That is my good friend Alex DeArmas. Chris, you've met Alex at the Kiss conventions. He dresses like a great gene. Oh, and cool. when, he won, he, when he won the championship in 2007, uh, he actually dressed like Gene, went out to a football field, and uh, they posted his picture on Kiss Online with the trophy. And the name of his team is the Cadillac High Vikings. Nice. And anybody Kiss fan, any Kiss fan knows Cadillac what High. that means. Oh, yeah. And also we have like... Uh, Didn't they like have the, uh, they had the uh, strutter, the strutter Vikings, defense? Uh, uh, yeah. It's called Trouble Running. <laughs> that was great because they had all the songs for their uh, different plays, like the strutter defense and the deuce uh, you know, lineup and stuff like that. You know, if, if anybody wants to see that photo, I did steal it off Kiss Online. It is on the blog page of thekissroom.com. If you check out thekissroom.com, that photo's on there. There's also, you know, we were talking to Mike earlier. His video from Rough House is on there. You'll find great stuff. I think Chris's star child moments, I don't know if they let you embed them outside of Facebook, but I got to figure oh, yeah. out a way. So. Mm. so Kiss Fantasy Football, so you had the winner this time now. I guess the real question is if, if people want to get involved in your fantasy football league, can they hop in or is it open to anybody or should they all create their own well, kids' fantasy at, football at, at league? Our peak, at our peak, we had three leagues and we had a waiting list a few years ago. But I think we're full up, but I'm always open to like creating more for like people who like kids. And people like fantasy football, they, they can email me at scotty at rotoexperts.com. 
if they're interested in listening to this podcast. And on my Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio Show, I do the morning drive. We play a lot of Kiss every morning. And as you well know, and Chris heard this last year uh, on November 2nd, when uh, when Ace had his book out, I actually got to interview Ace oh, that in was great. studio. That was a great and interview. T- tell him about Kiss Fantasy Football. And when I told him the name of my team was Trouble Running, he started cackling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, now I know, Scott, from talking to you, that one of the earliest interviews that you did was with Gene. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I've kind of gotten over that. Just before I go into that, really, really, just really quickly, though, some of the trophies that we have in the league are really cool. Uh, there's, like, uh, the Bill Alcoin Memorial Award for, like, the best fantasy football manager, the Eric Carr Memorial Award for, like, somebody who conducts himself the best, and also the Vinnie Vincent Invasion Bowl winner for the person who finished last. Oh, so, yeah. oh poor Vinny. Oh, yeah. Vinny. But uh, back to back to your question about interviewing Gene. I had I had a chance to interview Gene in 1992, and I was just out of college, and I was very nervous. And Gene wasn't very nice, and it kind of like threw me for a loop because I told him, Gene, I'm very nervous. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a big fan of yours. And he goes, No one cares. Be a leader, not a follower. Stand up, do it right. You know? wow. Fast wow. forward to the Virgin Mega signing in uh, 2007. And I told Gene, I honestly told him that, Gene, you know, thanks for everything you've done for me. I've been through some rough times in my life. Uh, you know, I don't think I would have made it to this point without you and Kiss. And he sat back, and he was genuinely touched. And he said, so, sir, what do you do? And I said, I'm a sports writer for ESPN. I was a fantasy analyst for ESPN at the time. This is back in 2007. He goes, that is tremendous. And he goes, thanks for saying that. And then he shook his finger at me. And he goes, now you're going to write a story about indie racing for me, aren't you? <laughs> and, and I said, I already did. I'll send it to you. See, he's always thinking, how's he going to turn your great story and, you know, heartfelt thanks into a promo? <laughs> <laughs> right. I've, I've had some great experiences meeting the band members. Like, Ace couldn't have been nice if you want. I'll tell you a great story from my interview with Ace. You know, I, I'm not the kind of guy who bothers with pictures or autographs. So, you know, this was at the Sirius XM 1221 where you actually saw the town hall uh, last month or whatever it was, right. Matt. And, uh, you know, they got me in a studio with Ace. I did my interview with him. It was terrific. I sent you some of the audio. You can play it anytime you like. Um, you know, and after I did the interview, I walked out with my book, and I didn't think of nothing. I didn't want to bother Ace for an autograph or nothing. So then somebody from SiriusXM comes over and tells me, he said, Ace is looking for you. I said, What? He said, Ace is looking for you. I said, why? He said, he didn't sign your book before he left. And uh, so they bring me back to the lobby, and Ace says, looks, turns around, he looks around, he goes, hey, Scott, he goes, I, I didn't autograph your book. He goes, I didn't want you to leave without me autographing your book. And I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. That's great. That's fantastic. Now, I know, because I have photos of it also posted, that you do dress up as Ace Dynasty era with the cape, everything like that. It's the Curly Plumber. Curly Plumber. That's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm a plumber. Actually, I'm a plumber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I dress up as Ace. I got, like, the full-on Dynasty outfit and everything. And, you know, that time I met Ace, it was great. You know, I met Peter and his at his Virgin Megastore signing, and I had a copy of Let Me Rock You on vinyl with me. And he, he, I'm, I'm like the third person online, Matt, and he screams at me, goes, where'd you get that? He's like all excited. 
you know, because and then uh, when I went up to to meet him and I told him how much he tough my touched my life. Peter reached over the table and gave me a bear hug, just like one of the sweetest guys you ever want to meet. And then I asked him, by the way, are you a Met fan or a Yankee fan? And he goes, I'm sorry, Scott, I'm a Met fan because I was wearing a Met hat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Yankee fan because I was wearing a Met hat. You know, I've, I've heard that a bunch of times, that Peter at the meet and greets is very nice. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, you're paying a lot of money to meet him. But, you know, I've heard that a bunch of people have said that he really does connect with you and has like a conversation with you. It's always nice when you hear that, you know, that, that they are really good to the fans. Yeah, I was yeah, at that yeah, Virgin Mega store. Up his gene online, though. He's like, "Get off the line, you bastard!" <laughs> he wants to charge you for the makeup. Frank, you were going to say? No, I was at that same uh, Virgin Mega store appearance with Peter for uh, that album, and he he couldn't have been any more sweeter. He was uh, really nice, and um, it kind of washed away everything that I had thought about him before. Scott, <laughs> did you hear my uh, the, my story when I met Peter at his book signing recently? Uh. I, I, I believe I, I may have. Was it on one of the recent podcasts? Uh, I'm not sure. I think we talked about it I think it I talked about month. it here. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know if you heard it, though. When I walked up to him, I, you know, I was trying to make a connection with him, and I, I figured, let me do something to freak him out. Oh, yeah. And I, and I just did the I did Paul's intro for him. And, I, and, and he's got his head down in the book, like, going to sign for me. And I go, hey, Peter. I said, when's the last time you heard this? Peter Chris on the drum! All of a sudden, he, he, he literally jumped in his chair. He jumped, and he's like, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, that sounded just like Paul Stanley. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> he got mad. Well, not mad, but he was like, you know, because of the tension with Paul and everything. And I said, Peter, I said, we just met. I said, you're going to throw me out. He says, get out of here. There's the back door. And then he shook my hand, and, and he said, no, that was great. And then he says, you know, he's on the thing about the, the breast cancer awareness. And, and he, uh, he shook my hand at the end, and he says, remember, you know, men can get breast cancer, too. Be careful. <laughs> He's like, you know. So that was great. I felt like I made, like, a little connection with him, so that was cool for, for my whole five seconds with him. <laughs> you know, it's all those meet and greets are the same. They kind of run you right through, you know, but I think it's every celebrity. You know, they don't have the time to really sit and talk to you. You know, it's, I think I talked about that when we came back in December was how even the Disney princesses, it's no different. You only get two seconds with them, but you know what do you do? <laughs> right. you know, it's, <laughs> I've, I've had some great experiences, though, meeting some of the band members. Because some of them, Eric Singer is a huge, huge sports fan. And I actually wrote about that. I did a story. If you have issue five of the official Kiss magazine, I have a full-length story in there about, uh, about Eric Singer being a, a big sports fan and sports fans, sports figures who are big Kiss fans. And Eric, uh, at the time, knew me from working at ESPN, and he just... When he got away from signing, I think it was like the 2007 Expo. He just sat. He sat in. The, he stood in the corner and just talked to me about the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was his way of like relaxing because I wasn't bothering him for anything. And he was just talking sports for me. He is a huge Cavaliers and Lakers fan. And uh, in that story, I mentioned how Bobby Bonilla, who used to play for the New York Mets and the Pittsburgh Pirates, is a huge Kiss fan. And he used to walk up to the plate with Psycho Circus as his walk-up music, and he finally got to meet Paul Stanley. And Paul was trying to teach him guitar, but Bobby was telling me that his fingers were too big to really uh, uh, you know, be a proper guitar player. Well, you know, didn't he teach Paul how to hit a fastball? Too? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't hit that. Ow. 
You know, see, it's funny when you get to talk to these people about things other than like he, he's Eric Singer's probably just you don't want to talk about Kiss. He's like you know talks about Kiss twenty four seven. He probably really could connect with that that you had something else. Now the one thing, of course, we only talk about Kiss. But how did you get into Kiss? I know you're a longtime Kiss fan, Scott. How did you discover the band? Well, I'm a, I'm a huge Kiss fan, and uh, obviously, you know, I listen to this podcast. You guys do a great, great job. You know, so I'm very honored to be here. I love this podcast. I love Three Sides of the Coin as well. I think they're doing a great job. But I just saw them on the Paul Lynn Halloween special in 1976, and I was completely hooked. And, one, you know, I'm really a big fan of the original band. But in 1985, I actually worked at Madison Square Garden after I graduated high school selling T-shirts. Uh, and I got to work at the Asylum Tour in 1985. I met Eric Carr backstage, but the coolest thing was is I was setting up my T-shirt stand, and then I heard, like, I heard like uh, you know, like what sounded like sound checks. I ran out to the arena, and I'm in an empty Madison Square Garden, and they're playing Detroit Rock City. They finish Detroit Rock City. I yell, play Love Gone, and they do. <laughs> uh, now look, cool. It doesn't now, get much better than that. So really, when we think about it, Mike had the chance to play drums with Ace. You got to call out a song with Kiss. We're, we got all the big time people here with us today. I mean, really, that's you know, that's really Paul, Chris Sirius singing for Paul. Oh Stan, I tell you, I feel like I'm sitting next to Paul. If I don't look, at him, <laughs> oh man, but you know, get out of line, buddy. <laughs> and, and Mike, look, Mike looks like Eric Singer, so we're gonna do a revenge Eric Absolutely. tribute. The revenge I'm, tribute yeah. will happen right here in the Kiss room anytime. That sounds good. So, Scott, anything else you want to say about Kiss Fantasy Football? And obviously we're heading up to the Super Bowl. What's the sports expert pick? Well, I was picking the 49ers, you know, before the uh, playoffs even started. Even though I'm a big Seahawks fan, you know, they had a great season. Um, you know, as far as Kiss Fantasy Football goes, the cool- coolest thing was is when they put it on Kiss Online and Paul and Gene are well aware of Kiss Fantasy Football and whenever I, you know, write them in, you know, Keith is very cooperative about it, you know, because, you know, we're just fans. We're not doing it for money because, you know, number one, we love it, and number two, Gene would want to cut, and we don't want to do it. You know, if so if all of a sudden, money, if there becomes but, uh, the official one through Kiss, you know, we're going to know why because you talked yeah. about it too much here today. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, my show is on, uh, I am the managing director of rotoexperts.com. It's a big fantasy sports site. And uh, I do the morning drive on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Sirius 210 XM 87. And we have a lot of, 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 uh, of fans on our show who are KISS fans. I actually had some of my listeners come to the recent Ace Fraley show in Times Square with me. So that, that was really, really cool. You know, I'm a regular on KISS FAQ. People know me as 41 Mets, and, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of Kisteria. I need to see them play oh, from New, it'll, New York. It'll happen, man. Yeah, hopefully within uh, – oh, probably. you know, I'm not going to lie. It's probably going to be about another year, year off because we're trying to make new costumes, and, uh, you know, we want to come back bigger and better. So – well, you, you know, know, it'll be worth the wait. You're going to be down in Philly tonight or tomorrow night, aren't you, Scott, with your uncle? Yeah, I'm going to go visit my uncle. So, you know, you, know, you should drag your uncle down to the Rebel Rock Bar where Gene's Ego is going to play. You could hear Chris. I mean, you know, what are the chances you're going to be in town? Well, you know, my unfortunately, my uncle's not a Kiss fan. He's a Barry hey, Manilow. They'll, they'll uh, let I him, Manilow too. They're going to let him sing Moon River in a rap form if he wants. I'm sure. I have, I have, seen, I have seen Chris at several KISS Expos, and it's very, very hard for tribute guys to, like, capture Paul Stanley. Very hard, I think, of all the original members. 
he does a terrific job. I am a big fan of tribute bands. You know, I think when Kiss doesn't come to town, they fill a void, and I really, really have an appreciation for them. I think Chris does an outstanding job. Mm, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and yeah, we're all big fans here in the Kiss room of uh, thank you, thank everybody. You, thank you. So it's. Uh, I think Gene and Paul suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Gene and Paul. We love them. I love we them. love, we love them. the ground. We, we love worship them. the ground they walk on. Yes, we do. Uh, that's my Peter Chris voice. And we are celebrating, you know, Paul Stanley's birthday. So uh, with that in mind, why don't we go to a Kiss track? We're going to clear off the phone. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we have Richie Fontana. And you'll know him if you're a diehard Kiss fan. He played the drums on Paul's solo album. Frank will be interviewing him when we head into our 4 o'clock hour. But why don't we go to a little bit of Kiss. Scott, thanks for joining us here in the Kiss Room. We you're love you. You're Good welcome night. back See anytime. See you soon. <laughs>
Yeah, we're back. Okay, it's almost 4 o'clock. We're going to get up to 4 o'clock with our interview with Richie Fontana, who will be calling in. How cool is that? Scott had some great stories. That story about talking to Gene online, you know, it's, it's amazing when you do get a chance to kind of walk up and meet them. Now, for me, every time I ever met the band, it was one of these quick boom, 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 kind of like you meet them, you get your thing signed, you and you're shot right back at the cannon. But it's always nice to get that 30 seconds of... Gene, I'm the And then, like, some big guys throw you in, you know. See, that's now I'll tell you a funny story. You you played drums with Ace. I got to say, for anybody in Philadelphia, you might remember Ace played the Chestnut Cabaret. And this has to be about. Now, do you, you know, you were there, Frank, yeah. so you know where my story's going. Wow. Here's the funny thing I don't know if I ever told this story anywhere. So, Ace is going through all his songs, and I'm in the front row. I can't believe it. This place is great, blah, blah, blah. I decide that during Detroit Rock City that this is the exact right time for me to jump up on the stage and belt out a couple lines, which I get up and I'm right in on the second verse. You know, I'm right there. And then, boom, this big guy, big enough to pick me up, right around my chest, drags me off to the side, throws me right off the stage. But I did sing a couple lines with Ace. Now, I'm not cool like being invited as you were or handed the mic as you were. I was that guy. Now, if anybody in Philadelphia remembers that, now, Frank, I, I remember, remember that there. night. Well, so, I'm so, like, oh, my God, I know this dude. And there I was getting thrown <laughs> off the stage. But luckily, I think the guy realized I was pretty harmless. Ace was laughing. He's like looking like, oh, look at this guy. And yeah, it was cool. So, uh, so that's my close to being on stage with kids. <laughs> now, Mike, still counts, though. I know that you were definitely influenced by Kiss. Yeah. When did you discover Kiss? Uh, 70, maybe uh, Dress to Kill album. Early. Um, yeah, early. Well, I mean, I'm an old guy, so, you know, <laughs> I won't give the age, but, uh, I mean, uh, growing up, I didn't listen to I didn't listen to rock music growing up. Um, I, was, I was telling these guys, uh, you know, I was into the uh, the Supremes, the Stylistics, the Blue Notes, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Never really too much rock. And then, um, you know, this band breaks out, and you know, not much. The first three albums really, you know, you really didn't hear too much about them until the live album came out. But uh, you know, just three reading the magazines and stuff, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it was, yeah, Peter Chris. I mean, Peter Chris, you know, just turned it around for me to, to start playing drums. And uh, they were the, really the first rock band um, that I listened to for years, you know. And then uh, I started to really, you know, branch out in music with, with the different uh, types of music that I listened to. But Kiss was always the, Kiss was always in my heart, man. So now when I met you, you were in T's. And then Rough House. Now, anybody, if you go on to the li- online and you Google T's and Rough House, you're going to see this band had a great look. You know, what was the first band you were in? Oh, my gosh. I was in a band called Trickery. Uh, I, don't, I can't even think of the names back then. And then uh, I was in a band called Manus, and we were all huge Kiss fans. You know, then that's when Kiss really started to break into the scene back in, what, like, 74, I guess, 75-ish, 76. And I saw, the first show I saw them was at the Civic Center um, when they first came to Philly, I guess, uh, they're live album. Well, Tower. There was the well, Tower. So yeah, the tower, 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 tower. Yeah. If it's March, I believe it's March something 76, and I have a poster from that show. I might even still have my tickets, yeah, now, which see, I probably do. You know what? My uh, my sister-in-law found it in their friend's attic, like mint condition. It's red, white, and blue, Civic Center. I'll, I'll have to post that online. It's a, it's unbelievable. And they gave it to me for Christmas the one year. Wow. So it was, it was really cool. I mean, it's like mint, and you go, hey, look. Cool. <laughs> well, Civic Center and Bob Seger had opened for him, and I remember them booing, booing Bob Seger completely off the stage. And 
as a musician, you know, you feel bad. I mean, but you know, you're, you're on stage in front of kiss. This is, <laughs> you know, no matter if they're new or whatever, you just, you know, it's a tough spot. That happened with shooting gallery at the revenge yeah. Uh, yeah. At, the, you know, at the club tour at the truck. Yep. And this, I don't know, even though who was, I forget who was in shooting gallery. Well, see, that's, it was, but, uh, but the Sammy point was, it wasn't Hanoi kiss. Rocks you know? Yeah. And, and Joe from the, the dogs de Moor. Right. So I'm like, Hey, let's at least give these guys a no, chance. No, no. Now here's, the, here's the funny thing. If like we're, we were actually it was like, thinking, it was like alive too. We won't kiss. Well, we won't kiss. We won't kiss. For, for our next month's show, I was actually throwing around the idea of doing a whole show just based on opening bands, playing tracks. And then we'll see what we can do. I don't know if we're going to go with that, but that story, I was in the second row of that because we waited outside all day. And remember what he said was, Gene and Paul invited me. Who invited you? And the crowd oh, turned yeah. on him. And that was, that was, I remember you know, that. I've seen a lot of bands. I probably started the gym. We walk in. We walk in. You know, Get off the stage. Everybody that's listening knows they have seen a band that, you know, maybe didn't get a good reception from the fans. That was the worst one because that guy yeah. lost it. And, yeah. you know, um, Billy G. Bang. Well, I'm sure that's his real name, but I'm pretty sure that was the <laughs> singer of Shooting Gallery. I remember that. Anybody that was there, I thought, oh, this poor guy, uh, he's feeling, he's not feeling it tonight. No. So it's Philly. And every, you know, anybody in this area, you know, it's Philly can be tough. You know, it's and never, you know, uh, they were that night. So that yep. was that was one of the craziest kiss shows I ever saw. So that's Revenge Tour, mm-hmm. Club Era. Yeah. General admission, no, and that was right. people were that throwing was... around. Like I remember when Gene came walking out, he hasn't even done anything. He's got his arms crossed, the bass down low. They're playing. He's looking out at the crowd. It was like being in water. The whole crowd moving in a way that I was thinking, I'm not a small guy. I'm going to be crushed. This little gal in front of me, I thought she's going to be crushed. She was like, Ah, what did I do? Look, just hold on. It was like it was that show was something else. I was there for the Stone Pony for that tour. Amazing. It was like a living room. One of my favorite memories. Okay, I think our phone call's going. Why don't we go to the break up to 4 o'clock? Hit um, track, uh, why don't you play us into track uh, 3 there, Dave? Okay, so here we're going to do. I, I think we're on, we've got our callers coming in. Put him a hold for just a second. Hit track 3 up here. We're going to go to our break. Hey, look, we're going to go to our break. We got on the phone, Richie Fontana. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on The Kiss Room. Yay!
Even sometimes at a party like this, I need a little time for myself. So I go in my room, I think about the world. I think, why are we here? Where are we going? What bus will I take to get there? You wanted the best and you got it! I stand in the land! Kiss! And you're back here in the Kiss Room on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. We are joined now on the phone by Richie Fontana. Richie, welcome to the Kiss Room. I'm happy to be here. Is this Frank? This That's is Matt, Matt Porter. I'm going to turn this over to, we always say, we're going to turn the microphone over to Frank. He's going to give an interview right now. We're going to start here in the Kiss Room. Hey, Richie, right. how you doing? How you doing, Frank? Very good, man. Thanks. Hey, it's good. It, it, Welcome to the Kiss Room. Now, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, what, well, we're uh, happy to have you here. Birthday? Pardon? Is uh, today Paul Stanley's birthday? Uh, well, it's, it's the 20th. Paul, it's the 20th, but we're celebrating it today. <laughs> oh, okay, because I know we were born the same year. That means we're the same age, which would, of course, be 29. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the rest is, uh, you know, classified information. Classified. <laughs> Now, you've been a long-time family member of the coin organization um, with Piper. Um, how did you initially get involved with uh, Bill of Coin and the coin management? Okay, well, let's see. Back in the early 70s, I was in a band called Wormwood Scrubs, and uh, the bass player of that band was Danny McGarry. And now, um, he had previously worked with Billy uh, some years before that. And uh, once uh, that band, Wormwood Scrubs, dissolved, uh, Billy called Danny and said he had a uh, development, a little uh, development deal from Bearsville Records, and uh, that was Albert Grossman's label at the time. Um, this is I'm going now we're into like mid 70s, 1975. So he says, you know, let's I want to cut these tracks, you know. And Danny brought me along. He says I need a drummer too. So Danny and I went up to Woodstock. Billy drove down from Boston. We cut uh, these four tracks in, in, at Woodstock, in Woodstock, well, Bearsville, really. That's where the, uh, the record company was in the studio. And we cut about four Billy songs, and then after that, you know, he was, went around hawking, you know, the material. And right. he ran into Bill, a coin. I think he met him on a plane flight or something. And um, one thing led to another, and Bill was interested in, uh, you know, everything Billy was doing. So he says, so we cut some more tracks. We, we cut uh, what would have been, what, what became the first single on our album. was called Who's Your Boyfriend? with another demo. And then eventually we got to two other guys, Tommy Gunn and Alan Nolan, and they put us in a rehearsal studio. And, um, um, you know, Bill, we signed with Bill. He, you know, he signed the band. And they put us in a rehearsal studio, and we lived there for like six months, just rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. Right. And Bill would bring in record executives just to see us in the rehearsal studio. The funny thing about Piper was um, we signed with Bill and A&M Records before we ever did a single gig. Wow. Yeah, wow. we never did one gig. We just got signed out of a rehearsal studio. Hmm. Like we would be rehearsing and Bill would bring in Clive Davis, this one, that one, and the other one, you know, and he says, look, 
when I, when I come in with him, just turn it on, like nail him, you know. Right. And uh, that's how we did. We got signed out of SIR Studios in New York. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, can, you, know? can you call the? Can you recall the first time you met Kiss since you were with a coin management? The first time I met them was well, I used to see them up at the office, you know, right? Coin, and uh, then Gene and Paul, um, Gene and Paul came into our rehearsals once we were signed because we were the third band. It was Kiss, and they had stars already, right? And once they signed us at that same studio, SIR rehearsals, Gene and Paul came in to say hello, check us out, you know. So I guess that's the first time I really met them, but then. Uh, <clears throat> I guess it's a coincidence, when they were recording their um, Love Gun album, we were recording our second album, Can't Wait. We were both recording those albums at Electric Lady Studios in New York at the same time. Kiss was in Studio A, we were in, in uh, Studio B cutting our basic tracks. And uh, this gets really like uh, family-oriented, because Sean Delaney was producing our, our album. Right. And so that's when we really got to know Kiss, because we were in and out of each other's sessions, and we'd sit in their control room. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm fighting off a cold, guys, just so you know. Okay. And, uh, and they would come into ours, and we got to know them pretty well from you know, those sessions, which led to them requesting that we open for them on, on, on the Love Gun tour that followed a little later that year. We went out on the road with the babies. We opened for the babies that summer of 77. And, um, and when we finished that tour, we thought we were done. And then a coin said, no, you're getting on the KISS tour. So we did two nights at Madison Square Garden, and we did about seven or eight more cities with them. And uh, so we got to know them pretty well. Right. What was that like for you, opening up for KISS? I mean, every night was a sold-out show. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, get, walking onto that stage was like um, it was like boarding the space shuttle. I mean, it was awesome. You know, you know what was the reception really like of the crowd? Show, we were we were just talking. We were getting a lot of airplay in New York. The first two shows were at Madison Square Garden. We got an encore that night, which we did not expect from a Kiss audience. Right. But apparently, we had a lot of fans there too. So it was really great. It was great uh, touring with them. You know, huge coliseums every night. Yes, Matt. So, so that's, it sounds fantastic. One thing we were talking about before we went to our 4 o'clock break was it's tough for a band to open for KISS. How did you feel like you got a good reception then from the KISS fans? Oh, yeah. We weren't afraid of that at all. I mean, it was like, uh, first of all, it was like traveling with family. It was like KISS and Piper and a coin and the road crews and the, uh, you know, the, the body, they, have, they had bodyguards. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't. We we used their bodyguards. <laughs> and did you have an action figure of that yourself? Was, it was like a family event, you know. And it was like we got great receptions all the way through, you know. It really worked out well. I mean, because we got a lot of airplay ourselves around that time, you know, around the country. So you know, we weren't we weren't doing half bad, right? And uh, so it wasn't too scary. I saw you guys open up for Kiss uh, December twenty second, nineteen seventy seven. Awesome show. I mean December. Yeah, December. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That it was, was a seventy-seven we went, tour. We went through like the beginning of January with them. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you just did uh, two nights at the Garden, and I think you guys came down to Philly after that. Oh God, Philly! That's one show. There are two shows in um, of my entire career. There are two shows that are outstanding in my mind. One was with uh, that Piper opening for Kiss. 
the other one was the Laura Branigan show, which I'll get to later. But when we played in, in Philly with Kiss, that was at the old Spectrum. Right. Right. God bless the Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, man. Philly audiences fucking rock. I mean, they ha- always had that reputation. We heard about it. Aero- Aerosmith had played there, and it was like a problem. I think like a cherry bomb went off or something right. <laughs> on the stage or whatever. But it was just from the fans being overzealous, you know. And so when we got there, uh, we did our sound checks and everything, and then we were backstage, and it was time to go on. The adrenaline was flowing like it always did. And before we went on, uh, Gene and Paul, again, came back to our dressing room. They told us, they said, look, don't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> the Philly audiences are wild. And when we walked out on that stage, I just I went up, before I jumped on my drum riser, I just went up to uh, Tommy's mic, and I just went, all right, Philadelphia, and the place, we felt like we were the Beatles. I mean, the place was the most electric show I I think I've ever done in my entire life. The place was berserk. It was great. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, How did you become involved with uh, Paul Staley's uh, solo album? Um, Was it just based on the strength of being involved in the recording organization? Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean... Okay, then Piper disbanded, and because right. um, Billy, you know, I think Bill Coyne actually talked Billy into just going solo. So as soon as Piper disbanded, I got a call from Billy Squire, and he goes, look, I want you to still work with me. So I worked with Billy for a whole year after that while he was like, you know, we were recording demos of his new songs before he signed with Capitol. And uh, right in the middle of all that, I got a call from uh, the office, from McCoyne. And they said, Richie, Paul would like you to come down to Electric Lady and play. So uh, I had heard that Carmine Apathy was supposed to do Paul's album. That's all I knew. So I said, sure, I'll go down. You know, I came down, met Bob Kulik, Steve Buslow, and Paul. And um, we uh, went to Electric Lady, and we just, you know, we sat there. Paul played the song for us, and we, we composed the parts. And we cut the tracks, and I'll get into more detail about that stuff if you want. But then later on, um, after I was there a few days, and um, then I got a call from Paul. I don't know how long, how much time went by, a few weeks, something like that. I don't know. And he says, Rich, I just want you to know these tracks are the tracks. Like, I didn't know if they were going to be demos or what. You know? Right. But um, he called me up and goes, no, these are the tracks. This is the album. And I said, oh, great, you know. And uh, so Carmine ended up being on just one track, and my friend Craig Cramp, who became my friend later, played on the rest of the album on the L.A. sessions. But it was just from, like, you know, yeah, touring with Kiss, being around the office. Paul knew me, and, uh, you know, he knew my playing and everything. He just, so, you know, he requested me to come down. Uh, How was Paul, was Paul a hands-on as a producer for this album? Was he really heavily involved in it, or...? Oh, yeah, definitely he was. Um, you know, I mean, I was just there when we did the actual recordings, you know, when we did the basic tracks, and I hung out with Paul a little bit while he did some guitar overdubs and things. You know, he knew what he wanted to do. He had the production in his head, you know, so he carried it out very well. And, um, oh, yeah, definitely hands-on. And then after that, we had a little thing going uh, with the session click. Uh, after I did Paul Stanley's album... Paul called me again later on because he was getting involved in other things. Maybe uh, the, uh, the two brothers, the Alessi brothers. Right. Uh, yeah, Paul was uh, producing some tracks for them, so 
he wanted to use the same crew that he had on his album. So it was myself, Bob Kulik, and Steve Buslow. Bruce may have, uh, Kulik may have played on some of that. I don't remember, but I think maybe Bruce did too. And we cut a couple of tracks for um, the Alessi Brothers as well after that. So we had this little thing going on, an electric lady, for, uh, during that time frame. I, I, I want to ask you, uh, what was the vibe like uh within the Kiss world at that time, you know, with the da- with the band splintering up and doing their own solo albums and their disappointment of Kiss Meets the Phantom, what, what was what was the mood like with with Kiss? I mean, you well, would know. You know, I wasn't in in their camp that tightly that I would know, you know, exactly what was going on. I mean, I think they were they were all pretty excited that they were finally getting a chance to stretch, you know, musically. And do these solo albums, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. Uh, I didn't know of any problems at the time. Right. You know? I mean, they were just moving forward. You know, they were Gene and Paul, especially. They're very aggressive. You know, they. <laughs> I don't think there were any major concerns. I really don't know. I mean, Lydia would even know better than me on that. What was going on within that within that band thing? You know. Right. Within that time period. All right, I get. Right, yeah. I, get I mean, I mean, from what I could see, everything was fine. You know, everybody was like, you know, this was like a major, major project. I mean, doing four solo albums that were going to be released simultaneously. You know, it was like, uh, you know, right. That they, was you know, everybody. Spl- they splintered off, but you know, happily. That, that was unheard of. That 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 day and age. You know, four four albums being released on the same day. Oh yeah, it was totally wild. I mean, no one's ever done. It. I don't think anyone's ever done it since. So. Um, you know, they knew they would be getting back together to do more stuff so, together. So, you know. Right. So it was pretty exciting. And it involved a lot of other musicians and stuff. So, you know, it was, it was incredible. Uh, I got a fact or fiction for you. How close were you to becoming Kiss's next drummer? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a story there. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there, there is a story there. Yeah, it's a short story, though. Um, I, when I was in the Scat Brothers with Sean Delaney. Now, we'll get into that, too, right. later, I guess. But I was living in L.A., and we were out there, you know, rehearsing all the time, Casablanca Soundstage. So I was living up at the house on, in the Hollywood Hills, and Bill Coyne's West Coast secretary uh, calls me up at the house one day. This is in 19, I guess, 1980. Um, and she goes, would you come down to the office by yourself? Uh, we want to, I want to talk to you, which I thought was weird. I said, okay. So I drove down there, I sat down, and she said to me, her name was Melanie, and she said, Richie, listen, Bill called, he's with Gene and Paul, and they're talking about you. I said, they're talking about me? He goes, yeah, they're talking about you. <laughs> about, you know, possibly um, becoming the drummer in Kiss, you know. So I sat there like a deer in the headlights, and I went, what am I going to, if this happens, what am I going to do? I mean, because I was in the Scat Brothers, I was signed to Casablanca, I said, Sean, Sean will kill me. <laughs> if I, said this. I mean, it was just like all these crazy thoughts went through my head. And I said, but it made sense because they knew me, I toured with them, I played on Paul's album, they knew I can sing as well, and uh, everything, but it never came to be. And it was obvious why, because at that time, Kiss had yet to be unmasked. Right. No one had ever seen them without their makeup. So, and I have already been on two Piper albums, once on a Scat Brothers album. I've been in magazines and everything, all over the place, Circus Magazine, all that stuff. So it's like, you know, there's no way they could have used me because they, they needed an unknown, really, to keep the mystique going, you know? Right. So, but, 
that freaked me out. Bill did that to me twice. He did it with Billy Idol too. It was like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but um, which I always appreciated. They always thought about me. They always kept me close to the camp, you know. And um, but that would have been a life changing experience, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I ended up with Lydia Chris as my girlfriend anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you won. I won. Yeah. You won. Yeah, I did. Re- I actually did replace replace Peter Chris eventually. Oh! 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 Wow. oh we need a drum. <laughs> boom! Boom! Ching! You followed the spoiler. But I'm dumb, right? Yeah. All right. It's seventy nine. Yeah, you. Right. Ju- I'm sorry. Oh, so go ahead. All right. In 79, you joined uh, Sean Delaney's Scapper. First thing, you know what I want to ask you? What do you think of Kiss today, the current lineup? Do you have any thoughts? I think they're very good. When I just saw them on David Letterman a few weeks back, whenever it was, I I said, they fucking sound great. You know, they're they're a really, really good band. I mean, you know, they're good players. Eric, Eric Singer and Tommy does a great job. Right. I mean, I think they sound really good. Yeah, we all do, too. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, you know, a lot of the fans, it depends on the age of the fans, you know. A lot of them yearn for the early days with Ace and Peter. I mean, it's like, you know, and it was very hard even for me to, like, you know, take in the fact that it wasn't Ace and Peter anymore for a long time, you know, because it's like, you know, it's like the Beatles without Ringo and George. It's like, well, you know, it can't be. And it's, uh, but it depends on what who what age like i was there from the beginning i mean not as a fan but as one of their peers so it was a little different for me but even as a peer, a peer you know um it was like a little odd at first but uh, after enough time goes by and then especially for the fans the ones that were born in the late 60s uh or no or the 70s or whatever you know they don't miss uh, peter and ace like the older fans do right so what does it matter? They're, you know, they were franchised. It's fantastic. But when, I think they sound really good. They're a really, really good playing, working band right now. Now, in 79, you joined Sean Delaney's Scat Brothers. You wrote a huge dance hit called Walk the Night. Um, right. And, I mean, and, and it's, right now it's on Grand Theft Auto 4. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Scapper, this thing is a very another odd situation. Yeah, it, yeah. You cater yeah, elaborate. The way we got signed, first of all, if you want to hear about that, um, Sean Delaney had a solo deal with Casablanca with Neil Bogart. Right. And of course, Bill was the manager, and he did a solo album. It was called Highway. It was a great record and everything. Uh, nothing really became of it much, even though it was great. Uh, but uh, he still had um, a deal to do a second album a second solo album. So what Sean decided is, because he didn't want it, want it to be a solo album, he wanted to have a band. And he got everybody that was available that he liked a lot, that he always liked. He always liked me, you know, with Piper and stuff, And because you know, he produced our second album. He worked with us on our tour. He toured with Piper. I mean, I got to know Sean well. Right. And um, so what he did was, behind the back of the record company, he had the money, the budget to do the second album. He got me... He got Peter Sweevil, who had been in Stars, bass player. He got uh, another friend of his, David Andes. Uh, you know, he just he, he just recruited all the people he liked. And behind the, uh, Neil Bogart's back, he got a Sweevil. He goes, get pack your bag, go to the airport, and go up to Toronto. So we went up to Toronto. We, we the first album was already in progress. They had some session guys cutting the tracks uh, of these songs that Sean and Peter wrote, and then. 
David and I went up there and and uh, you know walked the night was wasn't even completed. Uh, the writing wasn't even completed. But David had the basic thing. It was a, it was it was a, he had a song called Creeper. And it was a basic groove of what became Walk the Night. And he goes, this is not finished. And one day, we were walking up the, that main drag up there in Young, on Toronto, uh, Young Street. He goes, sit, let's go in this bar, sit down and finish this song. So we sat down there. We, we completed a couple of the parts and the lyrics, you know, all those crazy lyrics, you know. And uh, the same day, we went to the studio, and he went in and sang it. And... Um, and then we all sang those background parts, the whole band, Walk the Night, Gonna Walk the Night, all that stuff. And it became a huge uh, club hit. So we freaked out. And we told Casablanca, look, this is a club hit. This could be a major radio hit. He goes, they said, but you've got to clean it up. They said, because they had lyrics in there, but, you know, um, what was it? Um, he's got a rod beneath his coat. He's going to ram right down your throat, make you grovel on the floor, spit up and scream and beg for more. They said, that's too hot. You know, that so sounds like a senior rap album. To, uh, <laughs> uh, in a pool of steaming sweat, but it was too late. They blew it, you know, and they, they put out a single, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't click on the air, but it remained a cult classic And over the years. In fact, Casablanca, a polygram, after they ate up Casablanca, released all these different greatest hits things. The Casablanca record story, it's a four-CD set, Donna Summer, all the stuff, and it includes Scat Brothers Walk the Night. And uh, some people used to say to me, what are you doing in that band? Shouldn't you be in, like, the Raspberries or something? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that was more my thing. It still is today, my solo work, like my solo CD, Steady on the Steel. It's, I'm pretty much power pop. But it was, it was a stretch, and it was interesting because the guys in that band were so talented. It was like we were like six solo artists in a band, which was volatile at times. But, you know, it was very pro prolific, and... Uh, it was a super, super talented band. There's something else I'd like to bring up. It's like we had a, a lot of success in Australia. We had this song called that uh, Sean Delaney and Peter Sweever wrote called Life at the Outpost. And it had kind, of, had kind of like cowboyish kind of lyrics. And the record company, Polygram in Australia, said, this song is climbing up the charts. It's top ten. We need a video. We never shot a video. So they did their own. And they got these actors. Because I want to clarify this because I know it's on YouTube. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and I've uh, seen they it, got yeah. these actors who supposedly kind of look like it, like us, and they did this video with this cowboy, this macho man cowboy theme, like kind of gay. Not that, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> not that there's that, anything so. wrong with that. But you know, we would have never shot a video like that. It's not us in the video, and uh, but you know, then we find, we did we we recorded a second album in Toronto. David, a couple of members left. We had some personnel changes. And the second album was like rock and roll, and it was called Rico and the Ravens by the Scat Brothers, and it was only issued in Australia. And we went down there on tour for the success from the first album. We went down there to promote the second album. We toured down there for like two and a half months. And uh, they reported up that the Scat Brothers have gone back to their rockish roots, which I felt very good about. Right. Because at the time, uh, Sean, the first album, was like uh, it was like in a disco category, even though not everything on there is disco. It was like, but he was like kind of thinking he was coming off that dance scene, and he was trying to like maybe think we can like do something with that. But we came in on the tail end of that, right? So uh, you know, so that was that was it. We had some success with that band, but um, well, now yeah, I know that's just not you guys in the video. <laughs> What's that? Now I know it's not you guys in the video because I've seen that video oh. for Life at the Outpost. 
on YouTube. Yeah, Life at the Outpost. Outpost was Outpost Drive in L.A., and, and uh, they had Sean had a house there, and, and that's where the song came from, Life at the Outpost. And uh, the funny thing is, Bill, before he passed away, we were laughing at the fact that we were talking about that video, and he goes, Richie, Sean is the lead singer on that song. He goes, but the actor that plays you, they made the lead singer because of the way you look. We were like hysterical laughing. I said, this video is so wrong <laughs> in so many ways. It's hysterical, but I'm happy to finally get this out about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, many people, you're a good friend of Sean's. Um, many people feel that Sean never received the recognition that he rightfully deserved for all his work with Kiss. I, I want to know what your thoughts are about that. I think I agree with that. Sure, he never really did. I mean, he was like behind the scenes. He got like a little bit of recognition, but he was kind of like kept behind the scenes once it, you know, it, got, it got very successful. A lot of times what happens in the music business, it's, 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 it's hurtful. Um, but like it happened with Laura Branigan, with Sid Bernstein, too. It's like when someone helps you and then you, you get success, the business pulls you away from what actually got you going in the first place. And um, they didn't talk up Sean as much as they could have, perhaps, you know. Right. Because he always felt a little jilted, always a little bit. Yeah, why? Well, yeah, even though he's like, he's on, he co wrote their early songs, everyone knows he choreographed the shows, you know, and right. all that. But I think what happened is they evolved themselves. They started to evolve on their own, and they kind of like, it's like, okay, how much do we need to talk about Sean Delaney? I mean, that's how they felt. But on Sean's end, it was like, it was rough, you know? Right. I talked to Sean yeah. several times, you know, before he passed away, and he, he voiced his opinion about that, and he just felt like, uh, he felt slighted. Yeah, he always did. Yeah. Uh, he always did, you know? Yeah, because I, I, this is Chris. How you doing, Richie? Um... Yeah, I just uh, bringing up the whole Sean Delaney thing. I saw Sean at one of the uh, Philly, uh, I think it was a Philly Kiss convention, you know, and he was pretty much given the rap that everybody knows about, you know. He was telling Gene, like, you know, demons don't talk, and, you know, he would give him that rap and tell Gene to be more mean, and he would, you know, he saw Paul scratching his head, and he, he told Paul to make it part of the show, and, you know, like, those kind of things that actually gave them their signature moves, but then... In interviews, like, people would bring it up to Paul and Gene, and they'd be kind of like, well, you know, a lot of people want to take credit for how we walk and talk and breathe, you know, but, you know, you get, there's a lot of different uh, people that, you know, had their hand in the pot or something. But, you know, so there was, like, a, a resistance, like you're saying, to give him that credit? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a tough call. It's a tough call on, on both sides. Because if you're a kiss, it's like, you know, you don't want to give so much credit to someone like, you know, this is, we're like this because of this person. Right. You know, they want, they want, the, they don't want anyone to know that. Right. Yeah, it's like, like a magician with the tricks. It yeah. kind of makes sense. It does make sense. And it's like, that's what hurts. You know, that's what happens. You know, Laura Branigan, I mean, I don't mean to, there's it, it, an uh, analogy, is that the word? Yeah. Or, I don't know, it's similar story. Or Sid Bernstein helped her a lot in the beginning. And once she got signed with uh, Atlantic, she got pulled away from him. And she felt bad about that for many, many years. There's a picture of me on um, my Facebook page. I'm kissing Sid Bernstein. It was at the uh, RockCon Fest in 2010 that Lydia and I went to. Lydia was a guest there. 
and I had spoken with Billy Brannigan, Laura's brother. See, this is something I was able to do for Sid Bernstein that no one was able to do for Sean. And Billy Brannigan, Laura's brother, told me, Laura, and I was close with Laura when I was working with her, but she passed away in 2004, and I didn't really know this, and Billy, her brother, told me that she felt bad for many years about Sid, that, you know, how much he helped her, and when she got signed, she got, like, swept away, and that's what happens. You get swept away. You get swept away from your friends. It's very hard to keep one foot on the ground while, you know, the stars are pulling you up. So, you know, and he, Sid Bernstein felt sheltered for many years. And the way it all started was, and Billy told me, he says, Richie, when you see Sid, tell him that Laura never forgot that day when he brought her in that room with, with, um, with Armin Erdogan and that piano. He'll know what it means. So, and give him a kiss. So I did that, and I said, Sid, I'm Richie Fontana. I was Laura's drummer on the road when she had her biggest hits. And I said, um, I have a message for you, and I told him that. And I said, Laura never forgot that you did that. And he went, oh, I'm glad to hear it. And I said, and Billy told me to give you a kiss, but I'll just shake your hand. And the guy, <laughs> the guy uh, has like a minder with him. He goes, no, no, kiss him, kiss him. That's cool. So on, there's a, Lydia got the shot, and the picture's on my thing. But that never happened for Sean. No one ever was able, you know, he, he never got that message. It's sad. Yeah. Um, you know, you know. if that's the way it works but, sometimes. Yeah, but you know something, but it's uh, ironically or whatever the word is, since then, here we are talking about it, so he is getting the credit, but it's, it's late, but he is right. getting the credit. Yeah. You know? You're right. You're right, Rich. Um, yeah. Uh, now, Laura Brannigan, I mean, you played with her at the at, at height of her career. I mean, she had amazing hits. Uh, what was that yeah. like? I mean, what was that like for you to tour the world with uh, Laura Brannigan? Uh, that, that was great. That That was really good for me. Because it was like, it was the one major project that I've done that wasn't in a coin thing for a change. Right. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is, it was because of someone from a coin from years before that I got that gig. Uh, Richard Manier was the valet for Kiss, and I knew him through Piper. He taught us how to put on our makeup, not Kiss makeup, but on <laughs> stage makeup. And I knew him a long time and all this stuff. And uh, post a coin he worked for david sonnenberg who handled joan osborne and stuff and um he introduced me to a bass player named steve york who was a little older than me he was from england he worked with marianne faithful and all this stuff and he knew it put me into a whole different camp and of people and he knew the musical director that i was working with steve york world-class bass player and uh, on various sessions and stuff we did and he knew the musical director who had to put a band together for laura Brannigan. So that's how things, it's like a chain reaction. It's like a, I could draw a family tree out of all this. And anyway, I got the gig to work with Laura, and um, it was wonderful because I was at the peak of my career as a player because that music was, um, you know, it, it, the shows rocked. I've said this before and stuff, but the shows really rocked out, but there was like a sophisticated quality to some of that music. And it, I had to like... It was a refined, but I was able to do my own thing. She loved it, and her management loved it. Because I, I came from Kiss, the Coin, Piper, and I, I had that in me. I wasn't like a stock session guy. I never was. I was always homegrown, more of a Keith Moon type guy, you know, mentality. And uh, so I was able to stay within the guidelines that I'm supposed to in, with her music, but they allowed me to do my own thing. And, like, I really pumped the show, and they loved it. And it was really, it was really an enjoyable thing the whole, during those years. She was great. 
Yeah, yeah. She's an incredible talent. Incredible talent. I yeah. loved her voice. I All right. With, during that time, because I worked with Steve York, I, I had one night, one night of my life, and it was a wonderful night. We did a gig. I played drums with Dr. John. Because I lived in the Chelsea section of Manhattan, and so did Steve York, and so did uh, Dr. John, Mac Ribbonack, his real name. And I was up at the studio working. He goes, I'm playing with uh, Mac tonight. I said, yeah, I'm going to come see you. He goes, no, you're coming to play. So we played in this little club. It wasn't even a club. It was like a bar. And it was just piano, bass, and drums, and we played all night till 4 in the morning, and uh, it was awesome. And um, at the end of the night, Dr. John said to me, I said, it was like, you know, an honor working with you and stuff. He goes, man, he goes, you're a natural cat. I said, wow. I said, okay, I'll take that with me. You know, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was really great. All right. Uh, little word association. I must. I might have did this with uh, Lydia. I, I don't remember. <laughs> but I'm going to pull out a name of one or two words you could describe. You cool with that? Uh, I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, we'll start. Bill of coin. Oh, Brilliant. You want a one-word answer or no? One-word answer, two-word answer, whatever you feel like. Whatever you feel like saying. Oh my God, Bill was a, Bill was a genius. You know, he had he understood not just rock and roll. He understood show business. You know, and it was like meeting up with him and being involved with that company was like like a, I was so fortunate. You know, to, to know him. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, before that, I mean, I knew when I was younger, I was driven. Somehow, I was going to get into the major leagues. I mean, I didn't become a super superstar, but whatever. I I knew I wanted to be in the major leagues of the music business, and I just like somehow I didn't know how it was going to happen. And one thing led to another. And when I realized, all of a sudden, when I, once you signed with Bill Coin, you felt like a star because they treated you like a star right away. And Sean was part of that too. Right. It's like, you don't do this anymore, you know? We're going to pay your rent because we don't want you to worry about anything. We're going to make you a star. And it was fucking awesome, you know? It was, like, it was like a family, pretty much, wouldn't you say, Rich? Absolutely, it was a family, yeah. I loved Bill. He was a very special person, man. Uh, Ace Freely. Ace, I did, I did not know very well. I only knew Gene and Paul kind of, sort of, in those days. It wasn't until more recent times, since I've been with Lydia, that I've been around Ace. And I, can, I just think of him as, he's a lovable guy, you know. Yeah. He's very, uh, very likable. I like Ace a lot, you know. Uh, his forgetfulness was very appealing, very endearing to me. Like, we met him, Lydia and I, and he goes, this is my boyfriend, Mrs. Richie, he was in Piper, he opened for you. And like, ah, yeah. And then, like, you know, time goes by, and, and we were at the memorial for Bill, and he goes, are you two an item? And Lydia goes, at that time, Lydia goes, we've been together eight years. He goes, well, what do I know? You know. Difficult <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I love him. I love Ace. He's a great guy. Gene Simmons. I like Gene, too. And it, I mean, I know he's, uh, whether, whether what he does publicly, commercially, is shtick, or if it's partly real or whatever, I have a lot of respect for Gene. Dare I say, and Peter... And he always was friendly with me, whether it was just commercially friendly or not. He used to say to me, Mr. Fontana, I always drop your name. I mean, this is going back a long time ago now, right. but I used to appreciate that. But uh, Gene was, like, easy to talk to. All right. Dare I say, Peter Chris? 
Peter, I did not know him. Did not know I him? I did not know Peter. I, the only time I ever had, the only time I spoke to him twice in my whole life. Once was during those sessions when Piper and Kiss were recording together at Electric Lady. We, uh, were, I was in the hallway with Billy Squire and I, we, and Peter and Paul. The four of us were stopped in the hallway between the two studios, and we just talked, and that was it. And I really never spoke with him again um, until 2010, the memorial for Bill LaCoyne down in Florida. And uh, it was really nice to sit next to him and talk. And uh, we talked about some technical musical things currently, you know, about, you know, uh, the Internet and having a guitar solo, the guy playing in Tokyo and coming into the studio in New York, you know, whatever, all technical musical stuff. And, uh, and I did mention those days. I said, you know, the last time I was around you was when Piper, you guys were doing Love Gun. And he goes, oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I go, yeah, and then, like, you know, he was very nice. He tapped me on the arm. He goes, I know the girl you have there. He goes, great. And I go, I tapped him back on the arm, like, you know, cool. And uh, that was it. You know, so that was the only time I met him. But I actually actually spoke to him more this time in 2010, like 100 years later. <laughs> Paul Stanley. Paul's great. I mean, you know. I really liked working with him a lot because, you know, he's, I, I really, really respect his talent. I, I love his songwriting. You know, it's like, it's just, he's great. I think he's one of the greatest singers, rock and roll singers, one of the greatest performers. And he has something that I have that I like, you know, it's that melodic thing. I know he's a fan of the Raspberries and Beatles and everything, you know, and it shows, you know. Right. It's like I have a lot of respect for Paul Stanley. Really great. If you could, what would you say is the ultimate highlight of your career? If you have one, if you can pick one. Uh, that may be hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's some of those shows that I mentioned. You know, like, actually, when I did the Tonight Show with LeBranigan, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson twice. I mean, a lot of people do that, you know. And, like, I did it, too, and it was great. And I think, objectively, that could be the highlight, even though when I did it, it was like, this is what we're doing today. Okay, we're doing a Tonight Show? Okay. You know, and it's like, but objectively, when you think of your friends and your family, maybe that is the highlight. I don't know. For myself, the highlight for me were those the two shows that I, well, I mentioned only one. When we opened for Kiss at the Spectrum, that was the most electric, bizarre, berserko thing cool. I ever did. And it was a show we did with Laura at the Universal Amphitheater in uh, New Orleans. Like her album, Self Control, had gone platinum. And we did that song, Self Control. The building started to shake. Really? The, 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 the applause was so tremendous. It was like the Spectrum gig, in a way. And uh, those are memories that, like, I can't share that with anybody because you'd have to be me to, you know, experience it. But it's uh, those two things, The Tonight Show, I don't know, just, just the whole the fact that I had a pretty good run during those years, and I'm still working on things, pitching my songs, you know. Yeah, you have a solo album out called Steady on the Steel. Yeah, yeah. Those are songs I wrote in the 90s, and I, I demoed them over a period of time, and at some point I said, let me just compile these and put it out, you know. Right. It's a, so it's a homegrown release, but, um, yeah, I do all the instruments on there, 
and uh, mostly vocals. I arranged it. I wrote it. Everything. And fans can and, uh, uh, purchase that at www.richiefontana.com. That's it. That's, that's it. it. All right, we're going to wrap. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, it's just great talking with you guys. I really had a lot of fun here with you. Oh, it was great having you on. Um, I want to ask you to pick out a, a track from Paul's solo album. Oh, okay. To close us out. Um, well, it's going to be one that I played on. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I really, really love this two. This uh, two that I really. I know a lot of people like when you like to know me because of all the like the Mitch Mitchell kind of drumming on it. Yeah. But I really like uh, the the opening track and ain't quite right. Yes. Yeah. Ain't quite right. That's that's the one I said. I'm Chris. I, I play Paul sometimes in tribute bands, and I, and I said ain't quite right is definitely one of my favorite Paul Stanley solo songs. I, I love agree that. with you, Chris, because it's so it's a classy song. I go with that. Yeah. Go with that. All right. So we're going to go with Ain't Quite Right. Thanks, Richie, for calling Richie, into the kiss room. Thanks, thanks so Richie. much, bro. Yay! This is Don't Ain't Quite Right on the kiss room on Monco Radio where music and minds meet. You were standing and I was thinking of all the time that I spent hanging around Situation Could only get better I got closer to see what I found In the morning Moving easy
right. We're back here in the Kiss Room. Frank Hagen, how about that? That was a fantastic interview, awesome. Frank. Thank Thanks, you. Richie Thank Fontana, you. for Richie, joining Richie, us on the phone. Richie that was phenomenal. For it, really. He really, he really gave us some great stuff. And I want to thank Scott Engel from RotoExperts.com and also SiriusXM. He called in. We want to thank him. I want to thank Mike Natalini yeah, for joining us. Oh, here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here with these guys. This is awesome. Thank you. Doreen Reardon, thanks for being here. We had a good time. I want to say thank you for letting me deck out the kiss room like the Dynasty Tour book with the purple going on with the velvet and the satin. Let's all raise our purple glasses. Happy birthday, Paul. Happy Happy birthday, Paul. Paul. Yeah, yeah. But not me. No, it is. We are are toasting only with sparkling cider because I can't (laughs) drink on campus. Chris Giordano, hey. you got a show tomorrow night for those of you listening live. The Gene's Ego Show at the Rebel Rock Bar in Philadelphia, 100 Spring Garden Street, all kiss. We're going to celebrate the Star Child birthday, which is Paul and me. We have the same birthday. We're going to have a good time. And there's also another girl named Debbie, Deborah Stanton. Thank you very much. And we're going to, you got to come down and rock and roll with us. And Frank, where can they find Kiss Mask on? Uh, Kissmask.blocks blogspot.com now here's hey, the thing. I have all the links up on if you go to the kissroom.com look on the links we have links to Frank I have links to all my podcast friends I, you know we got the podcast we got creatures of the net there's a couple new ones you'll hear strange ways is a real good one those guys are just started up there's generations of kiss they're starting up of course creatures of the net Cassius is always on fire um, I want to also send a shout out last month if you were listening <laughs> Sean rocks called in and actually won a prize Donated by Lydia Chris. He was the one that won the photo out in Butte, Montana, home of Evil Knievel, that he told us. And he is broadcasting every Thursday on KMSMFM.org. And he's a listener of ours. I'm a listener of his. You can pick all this internet radio stuff up no matter where you live. It comes directly to you, as we do. And we'll be back next month in the Kiss Room. I want to thank everybody for being here. Absolutely. We got a couple more. We got a couple more songs before we're out, and Chris is going to lead us into this one in a way that only he can. Thanks for listening, everybody. Chris, take it away.
Well, that about wraps this up, folks. I've had a real good time tonight. Even Disney World has to close. Good things do come to an end. But I want you to know something. I've had a really great time. You? Good time. You? Yeah. We've had a real good time. Now, listen. Life is as good as you make it, so you make sure you make it good. And I'm going to see you real soon. Goodbye.
cosmic. Uh, Don't let anybody say that there isn't fate involved in your lives, people, because this kind of stuff can happen to you also. Life is full of all kinds of changes and amazing coincidences that lead to prosperous uh, fates. How's that? <laughs>